Scripture reading this morning will come from 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, found in the Pew Bible on page 1057. 2 Timothy 2, 23-26, page 1057 in your Pew Bible. I will be reading from the King James. Flee also youthful lust, but follow the righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. As already mentioned in prayer this morning, let's continue to be mindful in prayer of the selection of our elders. Uh, We want to be heavily involved in that, in our heart, in our mind, in our actions, in our prayer. Uh, What a wonderful time it is in the life of the congregation uh, that, that there's a growth where we need more shepherds, and it's wonderful that we have men Uh, among us that have lived a life in that they are qualified. And uh, so continue uh, to support, continue to pray, and continue to be involved in this. Great expectations. If we could ask God, what would be your great expectation for us? Perhaps he would say, let's sit down and let's talk. Let's spend the afternoon. There's a lot of things that I expect of you if you're going to be my child. I don't know how long he would talk, but before long, he would mention something about that if we are going to be his child, that we ought to have the same heart and the same eyes that he and his son had. And that is a heart for others. There's something wrong with our our view of Christianity or our understanding of our very own religion. If our idea is, well, I'm okay and I enjoy this church family and I, I think that I'm close to God and that's it. I'm just going to go to work. I'm going to be friends out to people in the community. I'm going to live where I live. And I'm just going to kind of put spiritual blinders on to say, I'm not really going to see others as it relates to them and their soul. And so this morning we asked the question, what would it take for anyone, you, me, anyone, to really be able to see others the way Jesus could see others while he was on this earth? How is it that he could interact with others and he could see them as a soul? As we think about that, I'd like for you to think about this morning. Last week, we urged individuals to say something. And as a result, or or as a a way of doing that in a very, very easy format, we we urged everybody to take three cards and, and leave it at a coffee shop, leave it at a public place, hand it to a stranger, give it to a friend, a co-worker, family member, because we urge two things. 
In doing this, you're inviting them to church where they can hear the preaching of the Word of God, or you're also giving them a website that they can go to, and they can hear hundreds of sermons of the preaching of God's Word. And the Lord says that's the way He chose to save individuals, was through the preaching of the gospel. And so we talked about what, what could we do to get that Word out. And I just had to, I had to just really love and bask the idea. You, you can probably imagine this if you know Ronnie Travis. Ronnie Travis just took his three cards when he got to work. He walked up to three guys and he fanned them out and he said, guys, pick a card, pick any card. That's one way to get rid of them all of them at one time. Maybe you want to just get a handful and go to work tomorrow and, and try that. What, what a wonderful, wonderful way to distribute those cards. But then also I think about that saying something. Like, does it really make a difference if we talk about our faith and we talk about our church family and our talk about our relationship with God? Isn't it interesting to think that we have a crew in Brazil right now that are there to talk about God? And Melissa Burka's mother-in-law, David's mother in Knoxville, a few days ago was talking with someone, one of her friends, about her daughter-in-law going to Brazil and a stranger overheard them. And so the stranger chimed into the conversation and said, what kind of church sends people that far away to do work like that? And so as the conversation went, his mother said, why don't you come and visit that church and you'll find out. So last Sunday he was there. Isn't that amazing that Melissa went all the way to Brazil to try to bring people to the Lord and that being talked about brought someone that had never attended the Lord's church to it in Knoxville just this past Sunday. Isn't it amazing how if we just do what God says and that is just live the Christian life. Don't hide it, just live it. Talk about our Christian life. Talk about our faith in God. And then allow all of those seeds. Remember we talked about the fact it's never going to be one person that brings somebody to the Lord. It's going to be a series of things. And then also, this past week I received a real neat uh, informative email from Linda Fletcher. And she told me about a lady in Oregon that uh, Linda went on the website at World Bible School and took her name, selected her name as, as a student that she would like to engage and teach the Word of God to. And so for a while now, she's been teaching her. And, and the lady wanted to become a Christian. So Linda called a preacher and the preacher and a, a lady of the congregation at Oregon City, which is south of Portland, the Oregon City Church of Christ. And they went over and they met her and they, they formed a relationship with her. They continued to study with her and encourage her. And she's baptized in Christ. She's our sister today. Her name's Connie. And so Linda, throughout the studies and the follow-up, encouraged her to go to the website and listen to the preaching of God's Word regularly. And it is so interesting, the email that she sent back. Well, on this email, she summarizes almost an entire sermon. She almost outlines it. And the sermon is entitled, How Does God Want Me to Be Saved? And she kind of outlines the sermon, but then at the end of it, she's telling Linda this, and she says at the end of it, she says, as you know, it's important to me that my family understands what they must do to be saved. This sermon will give me a good way of explaining this to them. Isn't that beautiful? To think that online right now, there are hundreds of sermons that are listened to, not all of them, but the site is visited 
every day. The preaching of God's word is done every day. I continually tell our guys in the pit and the guys that work with the, 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 our, our website and the duplication of CDs and DVDs that they preach far more than any of the rest of us here preach. I preach a few times on Sunday. They preach every day of the week getting the message out. And it makes a difference. I was at Georgia just yesterday. A guy comes up to me and talks for five minutes about the way he uses sermons off our website to share the gospel with other people. It's amazing. It is amazing. But it doesn't work if we don't talk about it. It doesn't work if you don't tell anybody about it. It doesn't work to say, I want to share Jesus if we never do anything to share Jesus. And so I'm not suggesting to you that getting someone to go to a website is the best or the only way to share Jesus. I'm not saying that. But we're just trying to emphasize some things this month that's so easy for everybody to do. There are cards in the windowsills and also out at the information center. And if you want to pick some of those up, I would encourage you to have a few on you at all times. So that when you run into that person, there, there's a fellow in our community that I've been trying to encourage for four years. And I ran into him this week and didn't have a card in my pocket. I've invited him in the past, but it's been a year since I've invited him. I thought, I would need to invite him again. I reached in my pocket. I, I didn't have the card. Keep it on you. Let's take advantage of all the opportunities that God gives us. You know, our live streaming uh, on Sunday, throughout the entire day on Sunday, averages 82 viewers a day. 82 viewers a Sunday. Do you realize that probably the majority of churches of Christ in America are not that size? It's amazing to think of the impact that is being done through these tools. And we just want to encourage everybody to take advantage of the opportunity to these tools to share the gospel. But you've been saying something and somebody comes back to you and says, you know, I visited your church or, you know, I do have interest in what you're talking about. Could we sit down and study sometime? Could you? Just know that if you ever have that opportunity, but you don't feel ready, we love to sit down with individuals and study. So you let us know and you and your friend, we'll all sit down together and we'll study. We do that regularly and it works really, really well. But maybe you say, you know, I'd like to learn my own way to do that. Come back tonight. Everybody tonight from about junior high up will receive a copy of this book. It's entitled Take Root. And we're going to have a section of the sermon tonight is going to be going over what is this tool how does it teach someone about the Lord? And everybody here will be able to leave with a copy of it and say, you know what? I've got a tool. We're not saying this is the best tool, but everybody needs to have a method in which they share the Word of God. And so we appreciate Philip uh, allowing us to have this and, and the Bass is printing that for us. And uh, we look forward to tonight to see what we can learn when we do have the opportunity to not just say something, but to say even more. And that's what we'll talk about tonight. When we look at the opportunity to reach souls, that opportunity to see people the way Jesus would see people, perhaps we want to just immediately jump to that and just say, that, that's what I want to do. I want to go out and touch people. Just like the, the good news announcements this morning that, that Philip uh, had. Isn't it amazing to see those babes in Christ? And I don't know much more that fires you up than to have something to do with someone becoming a Christian. It's hard to put it into words, isn't it? And to say, that's what I want to do. But this morning, I'd like for us to back up a very important step. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? 
You know, people in the world can debate that, but as Christians, we have a pretty good idea which one came first. The chicken was made on day five. That way, when Adam was made on day six, the chicken lays an egg once a day. He had an egg for breakfast on his first day. And so we know which one came first. Now, with that idea, let me ask you this. And, and just as, as common sense as that is for us as believers, I want to share something else that is as common sense, but I want us to really pause at it this morning and contemplate it. Which comes first? Telling others about Jesus? Or are you following Jesus yourself? It's important that we get that order right because us being faithful followers of the Lord greatly impacts whether or not we will be successful at leading others to the Lord. You remember when Simon Peter and Andrew, if you will be turning to Mark the first chapter, and, and my goal is to look at three passages this morning, and um, well, let's wish ourselves luck, okay? But if, if we can do this, this is going to tie together, hopefully in a way that will really encourage all of us this morning. And so let's start with this basic. In Mark the first chapter, we have this being read in verse 16. And as he, this is talking about Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Simon Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, notice the order here, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, if you ever read this and then you go over read John the first chapter, you say, I don't understand. I don't see how these two jive together. And John the first chapter, whenever, remember Andrew spent the day with John and with Jesus and he was so excited that he found the Messiah. He ran back and he told his brother, I, I found the Messiah. That's when they first became followers of Jesus as just disciples. This is several months later. They are disciples of Jesus at, at this time, but now they're out fishing in, in their business. And so Jesus wants them to leave that all behind and he wants to really help them learn how to be fishermen of men. In other words, he wants them to devote their life on a daily basis to this. And so his plea is this, if you will follow me, I will teach you how to be fishers of men. What a beautiful thought that is still true today. If there's anybody here that over the last week and today as we have studied this idea of touching other people's lives and maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking of somebody that you really, really want to touch, keep in mind, it's important who you are. Are you truly a follower of the Lord? Peter, he had his ups and downs, but overall he seemed to be such a good friend of Jesus and he seemed to be that disciple of Jesus but turn with me if you will to John the 21st chapter and as you're turning John the 21st chapter I want to remind you what we've skipped over we skipped over the life of Peter walking with Jesus every day becoming a leader among the other uh, apostles becoming a very good friend of Jesus and then Jesus is arrested and the apostles scatter. John and Peter follows Jesus a little more closely, but yet at a distance. And so that night, as they're following at a distance, he was asked three times if he was connected with this man, Jesus. Peter is seeing what they're doing to Jesus, and he is afraid to say that he is a follower of his. And so three times, instead of saying yes, I am a disciple of his. Yes, I'm one of his. Yes, I follow him. Three times he denied that he was a follower, a disciple of Jesus. <clears throat> now Jesus dies. Three days later, he's resurrected. 
And then he shows himself as the resurrected Lord. First Peter, the first chapter in verse three tells us by Peter, he says, seeing the resurrected Lord is what restored his hope. He had become hopeless. When he saw the resurrected Lord, he believed again. In other words, now he's ready to jump back on board and be what the Lord wants him to be. Now, you remember, it's not going to be that long, just a matter of days or, or a few weeks, that Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. Ten days after that is going to be the opportunity for somebody to stand and preach on the day of Pentecost. Christ's plan and desire is for the apostles to do that. But here's the question. Is Peter going to be ready for that? Because the last time Peter went through a trying time, he denied the Lord. And it's almost as if John, the 21st chapter, is given to us to show us a picture that says, you want to do things to lead people to the Lord? First pause for just a moment and consider your own level of commitment. How committed are you to the Lord? Because there's something disingenuous about being fired up in one sense to get someone to commit their life to the Lord. But on the other hand, you're not really that committed to the Lord. And so this is the story where they went back out fishing. And so Jesus shows up early morning and they not caught anything. He tells them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and they begin to pull in a huge catch of fish. And, and remember, John catches on to it and he says to Peter, that's the Lord. Peter's so excited. They've been out working. He has outer garment off. He grabs and he just jumps off the boat and he takes off running through the water to get to the shore. He has breakfast. They have breakfast with Jesus. He had prepared breakfast for them. It's amazing to think what that morning would have been like. The resurrected Lord is there. You're, you're hanging out on the side of the, 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 the water there and you're eating breakfast with him. And, and on one hand, you might say, wow, it couldn't get a lot better than that. Well, maybe in the long run, it really was good for Peter to be there. But I'd say at the moment, it was a very difficult thing for Peter because Jesus then begins to speak to Peter almost as if to say, we need to get something straight. I need to level with you, you need to level with me, but more than anything, I guess, you also need to level with yourself. Where are you in all this? And so I'd like for you to read with me, if you will. Uh, well, you remember he asked him three times, do you love me? And each time, first Peter says, Lord, you know, you know I love you. Ask him again, Lord, you, yes, I love you. The third time it grieved him because I guess he's starting to put together, I denied him three times, and now he's asking me three times. And, and so this is what the Lord says in John 21 and 18. I say to you, he's still talking to Peter. I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. What kind of death is it when you stretch out your hands? You'll stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to them, follow me. That has a familiar ring. He said that way back when he was trying to get him to leave the boats behind and 
Are you really devoted? Are you willing to leave those things behind? Are you really into this? Follow me and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men. And he did so well. It seemed for so so, so long. And, and then he denies the Lord. And, and then he goes out fishing again. And Jesus shows up again. Let me ask you three times. Do you love me? What are you getting at, Lord? You're upsetting me. I realize, I realize I denied you three times. And you know, are you just putting this in my face? Like, why are you bringing this up right now? You know I believe in you. You know I love you. What are you saying? And he's saying, don't you get it? I told you from the beginning, follow me. Do I have to remind you where I was in the last few days and weeks? If you follow me, I believe in the cause of the kingdom of God. I believe in the redemption of people's souls being worthy of going and dying on the cross. Are you willing to follow me to the cross? Peter, when you're in charge, you love it. When you get to dress yourself and you get to walk wherever you want to walk and you get to be the guy in charge, you're all over being my disciple. What about when the going gets rough? Just like a few weeks ago. What about when the going gets rough? And then he's prophesying later on in Peter's life where you don't get to dress yourself and you don't get to go where you want because now you're in captivity and now they're going to clothe you and they're going to carry you and they're going to spread out your arms signifying the type of death. Will you follow me there? If Peter had any doubt of what he meant before that, he surely got it then. Okay, you're not just wanting to know, am I going to follow you today? You're wanting to know, am I committed to following you no matter what the cost? Is that too simple? I, I wish I could make a whole sermon about that in such a way that, that you could leave and say, I'll never forget that as long as I live. That's ultimately what the Lord is wanting us to grow into in relationship to Him. The Lord is not just saying, is it, is it comfortable today to follow me? Good, go ahead and follow me. Hey, in this phase of your life, is it comfortable to follow me? Good, go ahead and follow me. The Lord is saying, I don't care what comes. I don't care how easy it is. I don't care how hard it is. I want to know your mindset. Is your mindset, no matter what it costs, no matter how hard it is, I am committed to following you. You know, if we all could perfect that, if we all could perfect that, we didn't just send kids out to college this past week and this coming week and the week to come. If we all could perfect that, you know what we did? We sent missionaries out. College campuses all over the Southeast are going to have missionaries showing up and living in dorms. And roommates that never knew the Lord are now going to get to live with someone that follows the Lord no matter what. And they're going to have opportunities by example and by words to learn about Jesus. Campuses that maybe has a dim light is going to have a much brighter light. If we really got that, do you realize what's just going to happen in the morning when, when many of you go to work? Missionaries have just showed up in, in workplaces and corporations and, and retail places all over this area. 
we really follow him. You'd think, well, Peter got that. That's, that's enough said. But do you remember that last part? He looks over and he sees John there. And in John 21 and 21, this is what Peter says about John sitting there. Peter seeing him said, Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? I, I wish, you know how sometimes you just wish you could know a little bit more than what, I wish I could see Jesus' facial expression this time. I can't help but imagine Jesus just going, rolling his eyes a little bit. I, you know, he's just poured out his heart to, in, in essence, saying, you follow me no matter what. And so finally he just says to him, if I will that he would remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If I want John to lean against that fence post until I come back again, what is that to you? We're having a discussion, not about you and John, not about all these other things that might or might not happen. In essence, I'm just trying to bring out what may be the hardest thing in your life, and that is the way that you're going to die as a martyr if you're willing to follow me. And I just want to know where you stand. Godhead's got to make plans. We got a big day coming up. The Lord's church is going to be established. Peter, are you going to be the one we can count on to be one of the apostles to stand up and preach on that day? Or need we look for another? Now, he didn't say those words directly, but you can't help but wonder if that's not what is implied here. Where are you, Peter? And then looks over and gets distracted with John. Isn't it amazing how we so easily get distracted? We get distracted with each other. But sometimes we fail to see the world. Just a few weeks ago, I was standing at the back door of another congregation and a lady came out and she said something in reference to where I grew up and I was explaining to her, I grew up in a small church uh, in, in Brushy and, and church about 80, 100 people. And, um, and, and she said, oh yeah, yeah, I was... I went to a church that size once. That's just a little bit small for me. And then she said, now this congregation right here, to me, this, this is perfect size. This is the way I'd like for it to stay. And then she looked, and I guess kind of registered. She said, oh yeah, now, now you go to a larger church, don't you? Yeah, now I don't want a church to grow that big. If I knew that I could say what I wanted to say without generating strife, which is what we're about to get to in just a minute, I would have said it, but my mind was racing and I didn't know how, what, how to say what I wanted to say because honestly, I was angry. Can you imagine anybody being so distracted that they say, you know what, we have about 80 and I really don't want any more souls to come to the Lord. I, I really want it to remain us 80 and no more. You know, we have about 200 and I, I really don't want any more souls to come to the Lord. I like it when we're, we're 200. I don't want to change, I don't want to change my church. Why is it that we can so easily get distracted that we can lose sight of the souls all around us. How many hundred have driven by this building just since we've been meeting that are not saved? They need to be in here, not out there. How many thousand live within just a few miles of this building? They're not saved, they're not a part of the Lord's church. And it, it should have nothing to do with you and I saying, oh, but my church, I want it this way. Just imagine Jesus kind of looking over at us like he looked over at Peter and says, what are you distracted with? 
how can you get so distracted that you've lost sight of following me? And so what if we do become a servant of the Lord? Lord, I will follow you. In other words, be turning, if you will, to 2 Timothy. And we're going to close with this passage. But as we look at, at 2 Timothy, one of the phrases in verse 24 that Paul, writing to Timothy, is describing him as, is a servant of the Lord. A servant of the Lord. If someone said to you, I'm a CFO, what, what do they do? If someone said to you, I'm an electrician, what do they do? If someone said to you, I'm a nurse, what do they do? If someone said to you, I'm a servant of the Lord, what do they do? Someone that in their life, they follow Jesus so much that every day they're just saying, Lord, I'm here to serve you. Whoever you want me to see today and whatever you want me to do, I'm here today to serve you. That's, that's who I am. That's what I do. I'm a servant of the Lord. Can we say that? And if so, then we say, well, what did Paul want Timothy to see about serving the Lord? First two verses we're going to read, he dealt with attitude. The next two verses, he dealt with what ought to be accomplished. And so notice this as we read verse 23 and 24 again. And avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. Now pause there for just a moment. There was something happening in Ephesus where they were arguing. Like for example, in the first Timothy, the first chapter in verse four, they were arguing about genealogies. And then when we read in the fourth chapter in verse seven, there's fables that they're arguing about. And even in second Timothy, the fourth chapter in verse four, that's mentioned again. And now he mentions it here. These are two short epistles. And the two short epistles, it is continually mentioned to Timothy. There's a lot of arguing going on. There's a lot of babbling going on. There's a lot of strife and it doesn't have anything to do with the doctrine and it's being handled completely the wrong way. You can't help but believe maybe Timothy was tiptoeing into that a little bit because Paul continually came back to it. And so now he's saying, don't get involved in that. It generates strife. And then he says with the conjunction and, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. Now, when it says generates strife, the old translation even says gender strife. It, the Greek word for generate is procreate, and, and especially from the idea of a, of a man bearing offspring. And so that, that's where that word comes from. And so he's saying, listen, these kind of arguments or fables or genealogies, they give birth to strife, to fights, to arguments. And he's saying, a servant of the Lord. Lord, I'm here to serve you. He says, a servant of the Lord does not bear the fruit of quarrels and arguments. Because serving the Lord isn't walking in conjunction with who? The Spirit. And remember, if we join our life with the will of God, remember what's produced? What's conceived in our life is we bear, the idea of producing, we bear fruit. You know, one of the fruits that we bear is gentleness. And so here he lays it out and he says, there's a lot of this going on. People are bearing strife and arguments. I want you to be a servant of mine and I want you to bear gentleness. Give birth to gentleness. Gentleness is the idea of a loving affection. It's the idea of kindness and mildness. 
When you think about the adulterous woman who says she was caught in the act of adultery. Okay, if she was caught in the act, why, why wasn't the man there? Because now this is looking a lot like a setup against the woman. And there's no way that the woman could feel this is fair, this is, this is compassionate. And surely Jesus sees some of the problem in all this too. And so Jesus handles the, the opposers with great wisdom. He without sin, cast the first stone. They, they start going their own way. Now what has Jesus done? Jesus has dealt with that situation, even with those in opposition. He dealt with them with gentleness, and then he turns to the woman. And if you want to speak indirectly, he calls her a sinner. You know, some people say, well, let her off the hook. No, he called her a sinner. Go and sin no more. You've not been living a good life. Now's the time to turn it around. You think she listened to him? I would think she probably did. Why? Because he approached her with gentleness. The crowd standing around, they didn't approach her with gentleness. What about you in your workplace? Do people see you as a Christian that handles things not in strife and disputing, but do they see you as one that's able to handle things and situations in gentleness? Don't ever confuse the fact that gentleness is a sign of weakness. It's not. You don't understand what real power is in life if you think that it's strife that is powerful. Strife is powerful in destruction, but strife has never been powerful in building up. So, if you think, well, work, I gotta, I gotta stand strong and I gotta fight people. What you're saying in ignorance, you're saying, I love to tear people down and I like to tear good things down at work and buddy, I make sure I'm hurt and I put it all in its place. And really, you're tearing down. And you may get your way, but you've torn down. It's not strife that builds up. It's not strife that is strong. Serving the Lord. Just go around and pick fights with people that have a different faith. Gentle to all. To do what? Okay, as we close, look at this. And let's skip a slide there. Let's go to verse, read verse 25 of 2 Timothy, second chapter. All right, he is finishing up verse uh, 24. He says that we must be general, able to teach, patient. Coming over into 2 Timothy 2 and 25, he says, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Notice the servant of the Lord never makes it about himself. The servant of the Lord makes sure that he's concentrating on himself being a gentle person. Serving the Lord concentrates on the truth. The servant of the Lord knows that he has to correct. To be gentle doesn't mean, well, I just don't ever disagree with anybody. No, he's just said be gentle and all and be patient. Then immediately, I wish we had time to, to say more about it, but you understand the importance of it. Immediately he says, we've got to be humble. You're going to correct someone? You better start out and remain and end humbly. And so he says, take the truth and set out and correct with humility. Why? Because the emphasis is on you. You can say, I won, I proved you wrong. No, the emphasis is never on the servant of the Lord. The emphasis is upon the truth. And when we can take the truth and if things are done right, and what I mean by that, we as a servant are doing the right thing with the truth, but then the person has an open mind and an honest heart 
There's going to be that light bulb moment where the person comes to their senses and they say, I have never noticed. I'm in the snare of the devil. I have never really comprehended what it meant for Jesus to be a savior. Now that I'm learning the gospel, I'm seeing myself in a more honest view and I'm seeing what the Lord offers to me with much more clarity. And when a person has an honest uh, mind and, and a good heart, you can't stop that person from turning in repentance and turning toward the Lord and away from that snare. Coming to the senses there is actually the Greek word for sobering. You know, when someone is drunken, when their mind is so clouded, they aren't exactly aware of where they are or what they're doing. And spiritually speaking, he says, that's what happens to us when we get out in the world. We grow comfortable with the world and we don't really, really recognize where we are. But then someone starts teaching us the truth, correcting us in humility. And then we are enlightened. The light is going off. And the more it goes off, the more we see Jesus who is the light. And the more we recognize where we are. What I learned today, I learned that I need to see people the way Christ sees them as souls. Number two, I learned that to truly follow Jesus is the way to prepare ourselves for helping others. Number three, I learned that a servant of the Lord is able to teach and correct in all gentleness and doesn't quarrel. Number four, I learned I want to help people have a spiritual light bulb moment. Maybe you have been studying the Word of God this past week and maybe you've had some light bulb moments and maybe right now you're ready to become a Christian. We would love to help you in any way that we can help you. If you're ready this morning to be baptized into Christ, you are a believer that has repented and you're willing to confess, you're not ashamed of the Lord, you'll confess that he's the son of God and you wanna be immersed into Christ to wash those sins away and that light bulb moment has come on for you where you realize your position right now and you realize what the Lord offers, don't delay it. Don't delay it. Maybe you have become a Christian and maybe you've gotten busy seeing earthly things and they've distracted you from the very first place we start. Follow him. Maybe this morning you just need a time to refocus and maybe it's, it's just something between you and God. But say your prayer and refocus your life and truly follow him. Maybe it's of a nature that you need to confess sin to the church and you want forgiveness of God and, and you want the church to pray for you. We'd be honored to do that with you. There's a lot of people in our community that the Lord wants us to see them the way we see them, but we got to start by joining up with Peter to say, you know what, Lord, I love you, but it's not just verbiage. I love you enough that I would lay down my life for you, Lord. And when we reach that point, I think God can do amazing things through us for the glory of the kingdom. If we can help